Welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together. No topic is taboo as we explore and publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. So, are you in? Hello to all my modern women. Welcome to the final bonus episode of the year. I hope you all had an amazing Christmas with your loved ones. It is so crazy to think that this year is now almost over. I am so grateful to each and every one of you who have been on the Single at 30 journey with me. Starting this podcast was one of the scariest things I've ever done, but your endless messages, personal stories, and words of encouragement continuously remind me of how important this community of modern women is. I am so excited to show you what I have in store for each and every one of you in 2022. But until then, let me introduce to you today one of Australia's leading female modern entrepreneurs. Most of us remember the prominent Cancer Council Slip Slop Slap campaign that took place in the 80s all around Australia. This campaign is probably the first and last time sun protection was in any way whatsoever memorable. That is, until recently, of course. If ever there was a product that needed a makeover, it was the greasy white stuff that's been sold to us as sunscreen. And thankfully to our guest today, SPF has been given the glow up it's so very badly needed. But in case you didn't already know, here's a fun fact. UV rays are the single biggest cause of premature aging. And when I was researching this app, I read that the average Australian woman spends over $3,600 on beauty products each year. But any dermatologist will tell you there's not much point purchasing costly cleansers or anti-aging oils if you're not also protecting your skin from the harshness of the sun. And no one knows this better than our guest today, who is the co-founder of her very own wardrobe of facial products that acts as both a moisturizer and sunscreen referred to as skin screen, which not only launched but sold out in under 24 hours back in 2018 and has since been widely credited with making sunscreen sexy. It is no surprise the brand has taken off considering our guest comes from a long history of working in the beauty industry with some of the biggest brands both locally and abroad, including Napoleon Purtis, Mecca Cosmetica and Rationale. It takes a lot to disrupt an entire category, and that is exactly what our guest has achieved with Ultraviolet, a new brand of sunscreen created with women in mind and dedicated to future-proofing our faces. Gone are the days sun protection is just an afterthought, as Ultraviolet is arguably the most popular brand of sunscreen in Australia right now, with a cult following of more than 100,000 online followers. Ultraviolet is not only changing the game for SPF with one of its sunscreens selling out every 30 seconds, but can be purchased by leading retailers in Australia and overseas like Adore Beauty, Sephora and Netaporter. So how did she do it? Together in today's episode, How to Balance It All, we discuss the expectations and pressures for women working in the beauty industry, how to embrace the body you're in, what it's like launching and running your own business, and how to juggle your love life with a demanding career. To all my modern women, I am so excited to introduce to you today the hilariously candid and extraordinary modern entrepreneur, Ava Chandler-Matthews. 
So hello, Ava. Welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman. (laughs) Thanks for having me. So not to sound creepy, but I think I've stalked literally every single Instagram post you've ever done. (laughs) And not only do I think you're hilarious, you're quite the colourful human. And I very much enjoyed living vicariously through your posts. So thank you. (laughs) Well, thanks. (laughs) But not to mention, I also think you're an extraordinary modern beauty entrepreneur who managed to revolutionise sunscreen by creating a product line that is a hybrid of both skincare and sun protection. Let's start from the beginning then. It's my understanding that your dad is a fashion photographer and your mother is a fashion editor. Is that correct? Yeah, she's a stylist. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. So I've always been so fascinated by the nature versus nurture debate. Mm -hmm. Would you say because of your parents that you're naturally a creative person? I would say I'm creative, but not in the same way as them. They're definitely more visual creatives, uh, whereas I am not. Um, in terms that I couldn't actually make something look good. I'm not a stylist. I'm terrible with VM. Like I just don't have the same visual creative um, genes as them. But I would say I'm a a different creative, yeah. Right. So did you ever feel pressure to follow in your parents' footsteps or did you always have like a strong idea of who you were and what you wanted to be when you grew up? Uh, I always – I never felt pressure, no, because I just – I didn't share the same – like my mum will look at something and be like, that's wonky or that doesn't look good, whereas I know what I like to see but I don't know how to get it there. So I never felt that pressure – Um, I always kind of figured I'd be in some sort of adjacent industry, whether it was fashion or not. And I was always interested and really passionate about beauty from a young age. So I think um, I kind of figured that I would do something to do with beauty at some point in my career. How right you were. (laughs) Mm -hmm, I sure was. (laughs) So you grew up on set and on runways where there were obviously a lot of models around and then also Mm -hmm. went to work um, in the PR industry and the beauty industry, both locally Mm -hmm. and abroad, for some Mm -hmm. of the biggest names like Napoleon Pertis, Mecca Brands and Rationale Skincare. What would you say are some of the expectations and pressures for women working in these industries? Look, I can't really talk to specifics on modeling because obviously I'm not a model never been one um but I think there is a I guess a bit of pressure to be keeping up with trends whether it's beauty or fashion or you know buying the coolest clothes and having like you know nice things you know you don't earn a whole heap of money in those industries and those items cost a lot of money so I think you could definitely fall into the trap of feeling like you need to keep up with the Joneses and getting themselves into debt. There's a lot of pressure for women in every facet of life. Agreed. <laughs> and I think that's probably the biggest problem. I mean, I've always liked having nice things. I'm not a slave to trends, so I, I never necessarily – and my body shape and type doesn't really allow for it, so I've kind of never really been sucked into that personally, but I, I can't necessarily speak to what pressures other people feel except you feel like you've got to keep up. If you don't have something, you're missing out or you're less than and um, – I don't necessarily subscribe to that myself. Yeah, that's amazing. I've always said to my friends who have worked in like PR or beauty, I don't know how they do it because like every time I log into Instagram and see something online, I instantly want it. But like you said, like I I can't always afford it. So it just the whole Mm -hmm. situation drives me insane. Well, Um, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I read a very relatable article where you said you've learned to embrace your body, claiming that you were not really built to be thin and that it took up until your 30s to be at pace with how your body is built. I feel like most women would say it took a similar timeline to be at peace with their bodies too. What does this journey of acceptance look like for you? And I guess, is it still a work in progress? 
Wow. Yeah, it's it's definitely a work in progress. I think if I said otherwise, I'd be lying. But I guess, you know, growing up in the fashion industry and my mother being always, you know, she's very slim and she's always been smaller than I am. Um, so I've never really been able to borrow her clothes, which is unfortunate. And <laughs> actually, we have very different styles anyway. So there'd probably only be a handful of things I'd want to borrow. And, you know, I did still definitely borrow shoes and, and bags and things like that. When I say borrow, I mean steal. Um, but <laughs> I'm sure I she loved think, that. <laughs> oh, she hated it. She put a lock on her bedroom door. <laughs> um, when I moved to America, specifically New York, I um, there's like a different appreciation for the body in America in terms of like you know having a big bum like that's kind of almost a desired body type. Whereas in Australia, when I left Australia, it was not like it was something that I was constantly trying to make smaller. Um, and I've been everywhere from a size eight to a size 14. And I guess, you know, being at a size eight wasn't natural for me and it was hard to maintain. And I thought, am I going to sacrifice so many amazing experiences and meals and cocktails with friends for this? I just, I don't want to. Yep. I relate. So to when I moved to New York, yeah, I think just like, I love food. I love wine. I love going out, I love socializing. And I just feel like life is too short to missing out on things that you love just because you want to fit into a certain dress size. Like it's just not for me. But yeah, moving to New York, I got stopped on the street, not in a creepy way, about my bum. And then, you know, the Kardashians rose up in fame around the similar time. So it was kind of all, I guess, interlinked. So I think I had more of an appreciation for my bum and and my body um, from that point. And, and I think it's just been a work in progress and you get to an age where you're like why does this matter like why do we spend so much time money and effort in you know and trying to you know whittle ourselves into these figures that aren't necessarily attainable or maintainable and who are we doing it for my body is a vessel you know despite what size of clothing I wear or what I look like I still have the same friends I'd still have the same job I'd still have the same you know partner I'd probably just be a lot more miserable. So yeah, I kind of I'm in calories. With it. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. Absolutely. It's, not, it's not for me. I like to enjoy life and, and you know, so, and I'm just naturally never going to be a slim. Some, some people could happily enjoy life and maintain and, and be a certain size or whatever. That's just not for me. It's just not, I guess, the way my genetics are. So... Yeah, and and that's exactly right. It's so interesting to me because I feel like we're brought up to feel like the grass is always greener. Like, for instance, I mm-hmm. have no bum and I would literally chop off a limb to have a bum. So it's like, yeah. you know, no matter what we do, we're damned if yeah. we do, we're damned if we don't. So it's, yeah. Exactly. So I read you say that launching Ultraviolet was hands down the scariest thing you've ever done. Yeah. I'm just curious, does it ever stop being scary? No. Nah. Never. <laughs> I love the honesty. <laughs> <laughs> it never does. And if, if it is not scary it's you know maybe it's the wrong thing for you or you're not making big enough risks or in fact it just gets scarier because the bigger you are the bigger your problems are absolutely so what do you fear most about running your own business that it'll crash and burn something will go massively wrong everything we've worked so hard for will blow up in our faces is that a daily thought process or a weekly one or a monthly one (laughs) i think it's like you know in tougher times it daily um but if things are kind of going well it's kind of like you know you get to a milestone and you think oh that's great but what's next and then or you think something big's coming up and you think what if everyone hates this like a product launch or a marketing campaign or something or anything and you think what if this goes the wrong way 
Yeah. Um, it's interesting because most businesses don't make it past the five-year mark, right? And I've read you say that if Ultraviolet didn't receive a glowing review, it would hit you hard and sometimes send you yeah. to bed. <laughs> yeah. And that you find it really difficult to celebrate the wins, like you said, because you're always worried something bad is going to happen. So I'm yeah. curious, what is your philosophy towards failure? Do you ever consider it like as an actual option? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, you know, you can fail at something on a really small level and you can fail at something on a colossal level, you know, failure at but, you know, failing to run the business properly and driving into the ground is different to making um, a mistake on packaging. Um, there's like levels of failure, I guess. And yeah, you live with it every day. You have to make decisions. Like if you don't make decisions, you're going to paralyze yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, or someone's going to make them for you, which is even worse. Um, but, you know, every decision is either the right one or the wrong one. And I think if as long as you're learning from your mistakes and your failures and, and you're using them to better better yourself and your business, then I think they're absolutely they're a good thing. You know, I we, when we worked at Mecca, the one of Joe's sayings, favorite sayings is fail fast, fail forward. So Yeah, I love if that. You're gonna, if you're gonna fuck up, you know, do it, move on quickly and learn from it. And I think that's, you know, Business is a series of small failures and small wins and hopefully you get to a big win and not a big failure at the end of it. Yeah, so what is your advice for dealing with negative feedback or criticism then? If it's an attack that's unwarranted, ignore it or if there's personal history or something behind it, I think that's probably a little bit easier to disregard. But if it's, you know, great, constructive feedback you really should learn from it um take away from it as much as you can you know some of our best-selling products or changes to products have come from feedback i read every piece of feedback negative and positive and the negative ones can actually sometimes really help and and we listen you know a lot of them are from consumers and whether there's a product gap that they're missing or there's an issue with the packaging or something um we we generally take those that's kind of what guides are our product development strategy. Absolutely. So kind of use the feedback to your benefit, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So it's my understanding that you and your business partner funded the business yourself and still to this day own 100% of it. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. So I read an article where you said you live in a never-ending state of treating yourself. And after (laughs) checking out your Instagram and seeing your love for cocktails and champagne, it definitely looks like your story checks out. Yeah. Uh, And I feel like every millennial wonders how their friends or people they know afford their lifestyles. So how Mm -hmm. did you and your business partner fund the business yourselves? Uh, I mean, I guess uh, savings. Um, Right. You know, we saved, we, you know, Beck's a, a bit older than me and at a different life stage uh, to how I, to where I was at the time we launched. But, you know, we had savings. I got, um, you know, I, I got money from family and, and my husband as well. Um, Amazing. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to speak on behalf of Beck, but, um, you know, we, we, it was kind of just, we, we pulled together money and, you know, in the best way that we could, whether it was sitting in our bank account as savings, because, you know, I didn't start this when I was 25. I had, by the time we launched it, I had, you know, like 14, 13, 14 years of work experience and, and Beck had, you know, probably 20. Um, so yeah. we kind of, we weren't doing this off a 50 grand salary. So we were able, totally. you know, we were able to work, work up to a point. 
um, and save money. And, you know, I was, you know, the year prior to leaving, I was living in my um, now husband's house. It was pretty much rent-free, so I was able to basically stash money um, away because he enabled me. He knew what we were obviously planning and allowed me to kind of um, do that in order to put as much money as I could on the, towards the business. Yeah, incredible. Have you at any point had to, like, sacrifice your lifestyle for this venture? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, we didn't take a salary for about nine months. I was not working full-time in that period as well. So I was doing a bit of consulting on the side, but money was definitely, I wouldn't say we, it was tight because I had prepared and I'd saved enough money, saved as much money as I thought I needed. But um, there were things that I, you know, I wasn't, I, I would say like I, it wasn't that I was living on baked beans and tin tuna. Um, <laughs> Which but, I definitely you know, have done. <laughs> yeah. It's not but, cute. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I was never, I never got it to that to that level, and I guess I'm very lucky in that way that I had um, a bit of time to prepare for this. But um, you know, we we took a really small salary when we did take a salary, and it's um, I guess only now we kind of paying ourselves properly. Um, but having said that, we're not on more. We've got employees that are on the same salary as us, so right, it's yeah. not like we're you know king king <laughs> sitting at the top of this like or queens rather um we're not you know we're still we're not we're you know we're not i said beck and i were having the conversation and we were kind of like are we out now earning what we were earning before we left corporate world and i think it's possibly that or just a little bit less <laughs> so it's not you know it's not like we're paying ourselves these you know amazing yeah. salaries. So how do you deal with the financial uncertainty of like starting your own business and, you know, growing it organically? Um, I, it's a little less uncertain now because we, we operate on a um, like three-month cash flow. Like we need to have a three months expenses um, in the bank at all times, three months ahead, obviously, um, which includes mm-hmm. salaries and all of those kinds of things. So, you know, we'd know if we were getting close to um, not being able to pay salaries, which we have never. And obviously we've got a team now, so we've got a bigger responsibility. It's not just whether we can afford to pay ourselves salary, but we need to pay suppliers. We need to buy for, pay for stock. We need to pay our team. So um, it's not as uncertain as it was. We, we've never really been down to the line. We're, we're pretty um, profitable as a business, which is great. And, um, you know, we've got an amazing finance team and, you know, Beck is amazing at, at that kind of rigour. And they kind of made a mandate that we've always got to have a certain amount of money in the bank account at all times. So we're never kind of feeling that pressure of like, shit, can we pay ourselves, our team, our manufacturers um, this week? Yeah. So, and, and thankfully we kind of, we, we also set up the business. So, um, you know, with, with a lot of structure from the beginning, um, we had zero, you know, from the very, very start um and and kind of you know it's always been it's something that we we think about and look at like multiple times a day so it's um it's not as stressful but I guess what's you know as I said before the bigger you are the bigger your stresses are and that's absolutely comes down it's a financial thing as well um because you know the bigger you are the bigger your orders are so you're you're outlaying a lot of cash for packaging and product before you can even sell it so um, that can be scary when we do big or like when we're paying a big bill, it's kind of like, oh, shit. But we kind of, I guess, have, you know, enough retailers and, and enough 
you know, data to know that we will sell it and what period of time we'll sell it in. So yeah. it's kind of, yeah. Did COVID impact that at all though? Uh, we were really scared about COVID. Um, we did all these like doomsday forecasts with our CFO um, about what's going to happen if we are down like 30, 60, 90% in sales and, and how what we need to do. So we kind of stopped spending at the beginning. We kind of like put a pause on a lot of stuff, as did a lot of businesses and a lot of people. Um, and then obviously like, you know, you've probably heard this, but like online beauty was doing so well. Um, Adore beauty yep. in particular were freaking killing it. So we were still having great orders coming through from them. Obviously Sephora closed, you know, most of their doors or all of their doors, I believe, for a a small period um so we didn't have that and we were kind of like oh my god what's going to happen but online really sustained us and and luckily we're you know digitally native business so we were all already set up um for a lot of that so if anything you know i mean during covid people were doing things like you know investing in high percentage retinols and and kind of acid peels and and vitamin c and all of you know all of those kind of products you need to wear every day Mecca purchases tripled. I'm not even joking. Yeah. Like yeah, I went bananas. Exactly. <laughs> I was waiting yeah, exactly. for my packages each week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was the kind of if you were still employed and still benefiting from a full-time paycheck, you know, you, you had more disposable income because you weren't traveling, you weren't going out to eat and particularly you were treating in Melbourne. Yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And with a lot of skincare skincare product um, purchases, you need to be wearing well you need to be wearing SPF every day, but if you're kind of investing in cosmeceuticals and not wearing SPF every day, you're like really wasting your money and your time. So I guess we saw a bit of a benefit from that. So COVID was, you know, we, we grew the business 200 and something percent last year. Wow. So. That's amazing. Wow. Yes. It's, it was really, um, <laughs> congrats. Thrilling. Thank you. Yeah. It was really thrilling and, and, you know, um, yeah, that's and yeah, no, that's incredible. Uh, yeah. yeah, and also just to see the loyalty of your customers during you know. Yeah, such- exactly. And we yeah. we obviously acquired you know newer customers. Exactly. So ultraviolet started off as a side hustle with you and your business partner. Is that correct? Um, I don't know. Someone asked me this question um, the other day. It was never really a side hustle because I guess it was a side hustle in that we were working up. It was we were working on the side until we got it to a point to launch and then once we launched I finished full-time work and Bex dropped down to part-time um uh I think like two days or something so we I was working pretty much full-time on the business and she was working three or four days so it doesn't right. really feel like it was a side hustle we weren't operating ultraviolet and still working full-time right but while you were sort of like in the R&D phase um and putting together your business plan were you able to maintain a sense of work-life balance or was it just work 24-7? No, I've never subscribed to that kind of hustle, work 24-7, sleep four hours a night. Um, we made it work. The reason, One of the reasons why we started our own business is because we wanted to, um, you know, fit, the life, fit our lifestyles around a business. Um, and that, you know, for me, that was whatever. But for Beck, it was picking up her kids from school on, you know, on time and hanging, you know, spending afternoons with her kids if she wanted to. Um, so we definitely, we're, ne- we're not like that typical, like, I hate to say it, like girl boss, cringe, hustle, work harder, <laughs> you know, like we're definitely like, it's got to fit your lifestyle. And we've been able to do that. We've been able to do things that, uh, you know, I've not said, 
I've not had to, you know, if there's been anything I've really wanted to do, I've not, I've been able to do it or I've worked around, I've worked, structured my work to enable that to happen. So um, I really don't, I hate that kind of narrative where, you know, we have to slog our guts out. I think you can do it in a manageable way. Just, I mean, you know, as I said, I was lucky in the fact that I had, I was working um, for a skincare company at the time and Beck was working part-time during the lead up. And I had a job that wasn't massively taxing. Um, Right. It it kind of allowed me and I definitely, you know, I didn't take my work home with me. I would, um, you know, do bits and pieces on the weekends or after work. But it it was fun for me as well. So it never felt like a, you know, massive Of course. It's... I love that you say that, though, because I feel like so many people do subscribe to that narrative. And, like, I'm somebody mm-hmm. who needs sleep. If I don't get oh, yeah, seven hours too. sleep, yeah, like, I'm a I mess. need, like, eight to nine. Right? No, honestly, I do because I'm such a bad sleeper. And then I feel like a failure if I don't, like, work harder or, Same. you know, stay up all night. And I'm like, but it, I'm not productive. So are you guys just no. really, like, efficient and effective with yeah, your time? we're efficient. And there's also two of us. And as soon as we could afford to hire people to do stuff, for us we were so yeah yeah we kind of I don't know we managed it and you know we're both we're we're kind of like I don't want to say seasoned but we've been working for a long time and Beck's been juggling that mum working mum kind of thing you know for 10 years um yeah prior to now so she had experience at it and I kind of like worked my guts out in my late 20s early 30s and then I was kind of like and obviously don't get me wrong we're working harder now than we have but we're doing it in a way that fits you know I got my second Pfizer jab last Friday and I kind of was just like I'm not doing anything this afternoon in case I feel not great um so I hadn't booked any any meetings um and I just basically told the team like if they needed me urgently they could message me but other than that I won't be like really responding to things and I'll do that you know, semi-regularly, I, you know, I, I prioritise working out because it's important for my mental health um, yeah. and I prioritise, you know, doing social fun things. Like Beck and I might just be like, okay, let's have a lunch meeting and we'll end up having like four glasses of champagne and it's great. <laughs> it's, it's called really self-care, fun. people. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, so I've read you say running a business is lonely even though you have your work wife and co-founder Beck yeah do you think you could have launched ultraviolet on your own no way wow I wouldn't have wanted to like look I could I I probably could have like Beck could have done it by herself too but I wouldn't have wanted to like it's so much more fun with Beck making decisions as a pair kind of tackling those bigger problems together um you know managing the team like it's it's so much so much more of a joy with someone else I I don't think Beck is great that she's really good at the stuff that I'm not good at and don't like doing um so we really complement each other in that way yeah it's so Uh, important yeah so I I just don't think it would have been half as great as it has been and I think you know she's really structured and she sounds like all the things I'm not (laughs) yeah she is and she's just really fun and she's amazing. So were there any teething issues in the beginning? Because I've been told numerous times that having a business partner is a lot like a marriage. Yeah, it definitely is. We talked about actually like we listened to a podcast and we were like do if we ever need to get like therapy, like not like couples therapy, but there's like business coaches and stuff that you can get 
like counseling with for partners who aren't seeing eye to eye that we would be open to it and we've not needed that i mean look beck and i'd worked together for three years at mecca so we kind of had a bit of a history together so i mean look were there teething issues i don't think so like we don't agree on everything and we've had a few like arguments obviously but nothing but that's also why you have each other right to see yeah exactly things from a different perspective perspective yeah that's right and we generally share the same perspective to be totally honest yeah which is great so yeah it's my understanding that you had a third person when you started in the beginning as well uh, yeah, before we launched, we hadn't launched. We had only gotten to ideation stages and we had, there was a third. So what happened with that? Did you guys just decide that you weren't all on the same page? We were just at or? different life stages, um, right. to be honest. Yeah, we were just at different life stages. They had different priorities um, and we necessarily weren't going to agree on everything and it's actually, you know, we realised it's been for the absolute best. that It's just been Beck and I. Yeah, um, it's funny how things like that work out. Yeah, yeah. So I've heard you say that there are work days where you feel dumb and like you're not cut out for this and that likewise when you started at Mecca and your now mm-hmm. business partner was your boss at the time, you didn't feel yeah. capable of taking on the role because the job description was so comprehensive. Uh, yes. I personally experience the same thoughts and feelings almost every day of my working life. <laughs> what advice do you have for women who feel the same way professionally? I think you just got to throw yourself into it, figure out what you, you know, you're not going to be good at everything. No one, not many people are true generalists. Um, most people have a specialty or a special, you know, they're specialists in one area or they do one part of the job much better than they do the others. And that's fine. Hopefully you just find yourself with an employer that kind of understands that and kind of allows you to build your team or hire the people that don't have, that have similar um, or have, sorry, different strengths to you to kind of pad out any weaknesses. And, and you know, you, I just think, you know, women put a lot of pressure on themselves to, to be good at everything, to be, you know, really thriving in the workplace, you know, trying to figure out their personal lives, you know, finding partners, you know, Relatable. married, <laughs> having kids. Um, you know, I feel like everyone's in this constant kind of... Uh, roller coaster of like um you know my friends are all doing this I'm not there yet all my friends are married I'm not there yet I don't even have a boyfriend on and then it's my friends all having kids I just feel like you know we put a lot of pressure on ourselves in all facets of of life and um I think you just gotta you know figure out what it is that you're kind of you feel, I guess, less secure in and or more insecure the elements of your job that you feel less secure in and kind of, you know, whether it's do a bit of research on what it is so you can at least understand the the lingo or ask someone for help or tell your team that you're, you know, you're not, you're struggling in this area of the job or to your boss that you're struggling in this area of the job and you need some more support, you you know, could you do a, a course or something I just think you know and the other thing is just recognize that you're not going to be good at everything I'm not good at everything no one's good at everything so you know I guess be okay with that and realize that you've been hired for a reason um and you know you might not see it yet but the person who hired you did and um most likely hopefully um (laughs) and and that you know to expect yourself to exceed or excel um, 
Absolutely. At, at every element of your job is probably just unrealistic. You know, you could be a gun and data, but then not know how to have a hold of conversation with someone. Or you could, you know, people, I also think soft skills can sometimes be more important and the hard skills can be taught. Absolutely. Um, and you can learn them along the way. And also if you're just starting out in a role, like you're going to, you know, I, when I started at Mecca, I had never seen a P&L statement. I'd never worked on the financials or anything. I'd kind of only been in quite creative, um, you know, strategy roles. And um, I thought I can't do this, but it wasn't that I couldn't do it. It's just that I hadn't been exposed to it. So just because you haven't done something before, just don't automatically assume that you can't do it. You just, you know, once the more you see and, and do something, the better you're going to become at it. It's my understanding you met your husband on Bumble. Uh, I yes. love that you're a swipe right success. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a post where you said within three weeks of meeting your now husband, you texted your friend saying, I think I could marry him. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were on the apps, did you actually think you would meet the one? I don't know if I ever thought about it. I guess I guess like when you're little, you know, you always assume you're going to meet someone through a friend or you're going to meet someone in a bar or – I mean, obviously, like, apps have only been around for a certain period of time, but I don't, like, I think, you know, all the movies, um, those, you know, the movies that you see, like, no one's meeting, well, they're probably coming out now, but when you were growing up, no one was meeting online. Um, they were all meeting, you know, those really gorgeous, like, meet-cutes and through friends. So I kind of wasn't ever really, I didn't necessarily have a label on how I would meet the person. I was kind of like, will I meet my person? And will um like when will that happen was kind of more the question I guess I was focused on right and I love how candid you are on Instagram about relationships and married life Mm -hmm. um like some of the captions that stood out to me is like when you wrote romantic Sunday night dinner and then the photo was of him watching football or Mm -hmm. photos of him snoring Uh, what are the some of the things that you've learned about marriage that people don't tell you about I guess like it's a you know marriage is a funny one because it's effectively the government's telling you that like it's like you have to involve the government or you have to involve legal to break up with the person to me that's probably the biggest thing it's like harder for people to get out of of things (laughs) not that that's what you're but like other than that like aside from I guess I do feel more of a bond with with my husband it doesn't feel super different to how it was before Obviously, I think having kids would be the yeah the game changer in in a relationship. But to me, you know, it's it's I guess you you do have to think about everything as a unit, as a partnership. But I, I think I was pretty we were pretty much on that page before we got married. So and we were living together before we got married. So it's not like you know you lived at home and then you got married and moved in together and you'd never lived with another partner before it was you know we'd been living together we'd been through you know four months of lockdown together so I I would say that um you know I guess it heightens the relationship but other than a a wedding band and a legally binding contract our, our relationship hasn't really changed a huge deal um, I'm like a freak, so I feel more secure that you know he can't just <laughs> he can't just get up and leave leave the house and never come back. Um, like he could <laughs> if you weren't married, we would have to. You know, there's a bit more security in it if that's you yeah, know if that's that what sense. If that's Important, kind right? of one of yeah. your tri- triggers, which you know I I definitely um, like that. But you know, 
I, you know, he wants me to change my name and that's been an ongoing conversation and, and um, you know, that's the other, probably the other thing. If I change my name, I am not, like I do go by Ava Chandler Matthews, like, but, you know, in some ways, but it's, I haven't legally changed my name. So Yeah, I'm not so keen on that, to be honest. I think it's a bit outdated, but it's, yeah, it's important antiquated. to him. Yeah, um. it is. It's important um. to him. So, I, and I keep telling him, you know, a good friend of mine, male, um, they both uh, changed their name. So they both got the same name, but they both have each other's name. So I keep telling him that he should add my name. So we should both be Chandler Matthews. So new age. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not, uh, he's not like, you know, he, I reckon he would do it, but let's see. <laughs> Stay tuned. I think it's so cool. I think it's cool and sexy for a man to to do that i even yeah. know of people who's who've taken their wives names completely and abandoned theirs wow um so i i think that's taking it a bit too a step too far for dion but um <laughs> that i'd be happy with a double watch a double, this space. They call it? yeah exactly so how do you balance being a newlywed while running a business my husband is so supportive of everything I do and he's so supportive of the business and he is so proud of everything we've built. He's like literally our number one cheerleader. Um, I'd say he and, Beck's hus- he and Beck's husband are probably um, on par there. But, yeah, I haven't had to kind of change anything. It's not like my husband's sitting in the corner being like, why aren't you paying attention to me? He's not like that at all. Um, he, you know, obviously has lived through the entirety of the business from ideation to launch to where we are now. So, there hasn't really had to be any there's – no, there's been no issues there. So important. So while hmm. scrolling through your Instagram, I saw a lot of hilarious posts and memes about your single days. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was being single like for you? Were you worried you might never find your person? Was it difficult to balance a career while trying to find love? Not really. I guess that does, you know, on your darkest days after, you know, a couple of shitty dates, you do think about that. But – it wasn't something I, I kind of always assumed I would. I didn't know when or how or who it would be. I didn't really have any parameters around that. I kind of was always, I guess, assumed, I guess you grow up with that, you know, white dress, nuclear family kind of, well, not everyone, but I guess that's what's fed to us as women, um, uh, kind of lifestyle. So, I, you know, I, I went on, I was, I, I'd go through periods, I guess, where I was dating a lot and then periods where I wouldn't. I'd have to take a break because it is taxing, you know, everyone who's done it will tell you, um, you know, and I had. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's exhausting. It's like a second job. Oh, um, absolutely. I mean, I had some weekends where I'd have two dates. I'd have a date on Friday, a date on Saturday, and then two dates on Sunday. Um, but, you know, it, so it, it really is like, it, and it's also a numbers game. 100%. Um, you know, you've just got to keep going until you find you know, the person that you kind of, that is kind of a match for you and, and your personality. So it's just, you know, it takes a lot of, I, you know, I've been on, I've been dating since I was 22 um, and it took, you know, nine years for me to meet Dion. Yeah. Um, and you've lived but, in you know, Sydney. it's not all bad. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it can be. Not to scare people be. off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It can be really fun. 
Um, but you've lived in Sydney, New York, and Melbourne. Uh, and yeah. I saw an Instagram post that said when you first moved to Melbourne, you were super lonely and would go on Tinder dates and eat Krispy Kremes to avoid feeling lonely, which is so yeah. something that I feel like we've all been guilty of doing at some point in our single years. Which city yeah. would you say is the best city to date in? Probably Melbourne. Yeah, I feel Definitely like the guys are men there. They're just not precious. Well, they're like... <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, I just feel like they're a bit more open to things and... Um, you know, New York's just a game. Like it's, you know, you can just tell you, you could be, you know, one out of three dates that night. It just feels a bit more like heightened, I guess. Um, although I did go on some nice fun dates. Yeah. I think you've just got like the other thing to think about with dating is like, you've just got to have fun with it. I think, you know, putting too much pressure on yourself is, you know, it's a recipe for disaster or thinking that every date has to be, you know, your future husband or wife um, is 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 not a good way to view it. Like you've got to have fun. This is also like as much, you know, and, and I also think that there was a lot of like, oh, my God, will he think I'm pretty enough? Will they do what X, Y, Z, think I'm smart enough, blah, blah, blah. Like you're also interviewing them. Like they should be wanting to impress you. Like it's not all about what they think about you. you you're need the prize. To be, Exactly. And not even the prize, but like you're the, you're also in this decision-making process. Like, I feel like, you know, we have like a few good chats, a bit of banter on hinge. And then we're like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. He's like my future husband. If, if I fuck this up, it's, you know, it's on me. It's like, no, like he could be a fucking loser in real life. Like some people are great on phones, but once you get to meet them, it's kind of like, oof, this is not. Ideal. Get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so the whole premise of SAT is to help modern women successfully navigate life together. And part of that mm-hmm. is identifying if we can, in fact, have it all. What does your yeah. version of having it all look like? And do you think the modern woman can have it all? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we can have it all. You know, there'll, there'll be always this be sacrifice, right? If you're focusing on your career, which I've done, you know, I'm now 35 and I'm trying to have a kid and it's harder. Um because I I chose to – I didn't meet my husband until later and when I, I met him at 31. I just turned 31. Um, but I met him a bit later, so I got to have, like, a lot more fun and I got to travel and, as a consequence, I'm having kids later um, and that's also allowed me to build a career that I'm really happy with. But, you know, I think – things have changed like things have changed you can you know I don't plan on stopping my career when I get pregnant or have a kid like it's just it's just got to keep going and I think you know you really have to think about like I think obviously having a child will put a lot of things into perspective for me but I don't want to lose my identity and just be someone's mom that's just not like that's just not it for me but that might be it for someone else and that's fine too um you know, I, I don't think you can – it's un, it's super unfair because men seem to be able to do it. They can have a thriving career and also be a dad, but, you know, the expectations on them are so, so – uh, you know, they're far less. So they can be hands-off, you know. They're not thinking necessarily about what we're having for dinner or what we need to buy from the shops, whereas women automatically take on that role. So I think it's really fucking unfair, Um and I think we're kind of set up to fail in a way. But I think that um, and I don't think we should have to adjust our parameters of or our idea of what having it all 
looks like but I do think that you know it's probably not possible all at the same time and you just have to allow and you know not put too much pressure on your or you know not expect that that you're going to be able to work till six o'clock every night and then come home to a baby unless you're you've got fantastic help um whether that's family or paid whatever it is you know I, I don't think I think I think having it all is probably possible with a team of people and that's just not financially possible for a lot of people. So you've made a lot of references to world domination when it comes to the future of ultraviolet. What's next for you, Ava? Oh, in a, you know, in a work sense, we want to launch more places globally. I want, you know, ultraviolet to be the number one premium SPF brand globally. Um, From a personal point of view, you know, I'd like to have a kid um, at some point. Although, given everything that's happening with COVID, that time frame keeps getting pushed out because I'm like, oh, I don't want to bring a kid into this or I don't want to have a toddler who I can't take to the fucking playground. Right. Um, you know, or I don't want to have, like, I want to be able to send my child to daycare and not have to be at home. And, you know, Dion's really great and we definitely are very much an equal partnership in that sense. So the duty of care won't be all, all on me. Um but, I think but you also I want to be able to see of, your family, right? And borders are yeah. shut and, yeah, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Yeah. So it's kind of a bit of a, yeah, it's, it's a bit of personal, bit of, you know, a lot of work. Um, I'd like to come out of this year with my mental health still intact as much as possible. Um, I feel like a lot of people would be able to relate to that. Yeah. That's, you know, I've got, for right now I've got, relatively modest um I guess desires but yeah I do obviously from a work point of view from an ultraviolet point of view I do want you know to be I want to I want to be the number one you know I want us I think globally I want to be known as you know the number one SPF premium SPF brand amazing well Ava thank you so much for coming on the single at 30 podcast it's been such a treat speaking with you today yeah and I can't wait to see when you take over the world (laughs) I'll try I'll try (laughs) all right thank you thanks Nicole thank you bye Thank you so much for listening to this Single at 30 bonus episode, How to Balance It All with modern entrepreneur Ava Chandler-Matthews. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. To all my modern women, I would like to wish you a happy new year as well as a thank you for being part of the Single at 30 community of modern women. I hope you and your loved ones all stay safe over the holiday period and please keep an eye out for the next bonus app detailing a remarkable woman's IVF journey that will be dropping at the beginning of 2022. If you have any questions, feedback or even an episode idea, DM me on Instagram at single underscore at underscore 30 or join the Single at 30 closed Facebook group to become part of the community where together with other like-minded modern women, we publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. As always, no topic is to as we search for answers to the questions most people are too ashamed to ask. This is Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.